While I was researching for unethical human experiments, something in the back of my mind was trying to catch my attention. Something big. I thought at first that it was my itch to find a major story, a tale I had not yet heard of. Then it hit me. It was something big, but something I had already known about, yet rarely gave credit. Credit for how truly devastating it can be, and that is social media. Social media was given to us before any knowledge of its effects had been known or shared, those being psychological effects, of course. There are many references to mind control and manipulation in history, such as from mental treatment and drug use, not to mention countless fictional and non-fictional stories about a cartel-like control over human thought. Ask yourself if when you read history, you are watching a movie about it in your head or truly contemplating the veracity of human woe. One could perceive all of these facts as warnings, and yet we all dove willingly into the exciting new technologies the internet and cell phones brought us. Not only is it a convincing proposition that social media is an unethical experiment, but there is a plethora of evidence to suggest the negative effects of social media are real. It could be argued that everything humans do is a byproduct of their psyche, therefore a chemical problem. Does that mean there is a chemical solution? Nearly every unethical experiment I could find in my searches resulted in some kind of positive knowledge. I suppose that's true of the universe when one thinks about it. Isn't that what it means to learn from our mistakes? Is the history of unethical experimentation a mistake or simply abuse? Does the evolution of modern ethics mean less people will be hurt, but also that less knowledge will be gained? Let's ask Professor Wiegand and see what he thinks. Yes, uh, it's actually Professor Wiegand. Wiegand. Wiegand, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. Sorry, though. sir. That's oh, okay. Everyone gets it wrong. Doctor, doctor. Doctor. Um, so, the, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, you got me really excited when you start talking about social media because I hate it. <laughs> I'm like... You have a natural revulsion to it. Well, I have. A, I don't like community in most cases anyways. I don't like when groups of people get together and create bad things. That's usually what happens. Bad well, that's things not come a community, out. is it? You're talking about crowds, maybe? Yeah, like I guess it's more crowds. Yeah, but that's what happens on social media is it devolves yeah. into a crowd mob mob mentality. That's what I don't like, I guess. Right. Because community can actually be very useful and good and all that, you know, helping your fellow man out. Like, that's a good thing. I just have, like, a distrust of it. That's that's what it is. I don't trust. Sure. <laughs> that's my problem. Um, I don't think that's a problem. I think that's a healthy reaction, personally. Well, I mean, it becomes a problem sometimes, you know, in the in the respect of like, um, I'm always on guard about, you know, altruism, you know, when it's when it is just purely someone just wants to do good for me, you know, it's like, but well, I think I think part of that because I have the same problem or reaction, mm-hmm. and in my case, it's having been around or experienced a lot of manipulation or attempts at manipulation of me or my resources whatever the case may be and i think uh that is a natural defense against that because usually when people do something for you they want something in return right the true altruist is rare right you know i mean my grandmother might be a good example of that but i've seen how she's been hurt because of it as well yeah but what do you think do you agree that social media 
is an unethical human experiment that goes along with our topics today, which is well, what we want to talk for about. For sure. I know that Facebook has done a lot of unethical social experiments with their algorithms and promoting certain things to see what kind of reactions they can get and what kind of voting system they can like manipulate They're testing votes. the they water, test it. testing yeah. the fence. And they've sure. done it. And it's, and it's crazy. Um, I find that very, very unethical and I find it very... I don't know. See, that's one of the reasons I don't Well, it's trust offensive it. because yeah. it means that they, whatever they, it seems to reveal that whatever they can get away with, they just will. Yeah. Regardless of if it's ethical or not. I mean, I think, I feel like ethics is one of those things that evolves over time, especially while researching for certain experiments that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about today. Uh, you know, that what was once considered ethical is no longer ethical in, in, in many cases, in many ways, you know, uh, for example, the, you know, what is considered, um, funny or allowed, let's say on a commercial. Oh yeah. You know, like there are many commercials that I grew up with that I still think are funny, but today would probably be considered racist or, or just uh, offensive or just offensive in general because they're no longer part of the joke. You know, it made me think of that. Right. Like it, it's out of time. And it's out, out of con- time. Right. Of the joke sort of, I look as, as the underlying social response that we that we at all edit in our own minds, like the negative, hurtful thing we want to say sometimes that we don't, that is sometimes funny, yeah. is adjusted based on what is currently acceptable. And that's what I call the joke, right? The running joke mm. of society. See, I just, I, I make jokes for myself and if other people laugh, then cool. But like most jokes that I make, I just I just say them because I think they're funny and I want to bring that, you know, that right, I want to bring but, it to fruition and make the joke verbalized because it, I don't know it just makes it funner for me. No, sure. What I'm talking about though is how you're in that in that, in your example how your joke would be gauged based on the the era that you told it yeah, in. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. And then you were talking about how history, there's two different ways to view it and like viewing like your your learning of history is through. Like a movie, or actually, empathy is was was the other route. Um, and I yeah, empathy could be part of it, and and it is. I think what I was trying to say there, and this is based on what I've experienced in my own thoughts, mm-hmm. is that sometimes I catch myself reading or watching a documentary about something important in history, and what I mean by catch myself is I catch myself because I realize that I'm viewing it as though it's a fictional story. Yeah. I'm not really considering that these were real people yeah. and that these real people suffered or th- that these governments did these things to their people. Yeah, and they had uh, you know full lives that were just as deep and complex as your own. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. It, it gives me goosebumps even just thinking about it now because it it makes, it makes adds the human factor that for some reason my mind was abstract about. Yeah, no, I don't know why exactly we do it that way why we well because i think that's most people when they're learning about history they view it as more of a movie and more of like a a story kind of thing i mean mm-hmm. that's why i find history so interesting because it is very um like novel-esque you know it's very story based driven well like, it is that's told that taught. way too right yeah. i mean it's told like uh not a fairy tale although sometimes i think it borders on fairy tale description mm-hmm. but also as though it was in another universe, you know, like as if 150 years ago was just so long ago. You know, it, it is taught that way. And it's really weird because even thinking about segregation, that was in the 60s is when that kind of stopped, right? Like that's when uh, civil rights really started, yes. like, you know, happening. In America. In yeah. America, yeah. But like, that's like two generations ago. It's nothing. I mean, I'm like, like when, grand, when, our when grandparents I think about lived it, though, through that. When I think about it, it's like that was 
that was eons. You know, if to me it's a, it was nothing because I wasn't alive then, right? Right. So it's like, so when I think about people who are suffering through like that, those kinds of things, like that's something that their grandparents were telling them about. So to them, it's very, it's very much more real, you know, in their minds. To me, it, it, it's like, like you said, it's, it's just like a, a story. It's like, a story. It's a it's like, like yeah. oh, this is how we used to treat people, but we don't treat people that way anymore. And, and we've moved on. Well, some people are still alive that haven't been able to move on from the the, the or social we torment. Repeat. That or yeah, and yeah, we repeat it or something. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, it's just uh, it, viewing history as a story is something I do, just because it's like I don't know. I find it more interesting that way than to put because it would be it's, it's a lot of stress to put yourself through to th- put yourself as a as an empathetic and like realizing like these are real people that are going through World War Two. And like in the trenches and and suffering and and dying from disease, not just bullets. You know, what was interesting, too, is while I was I noticed it was difficult while researching this topic to find I wanted I really wanted like ancient history, like old examples of an ethical experiment. Like ancient Greek, kind of old. And it was I couldn't find a single one. Everything on my search algorithm was dominated by not only American unethical yeah. experiments, yeah. but World War II related. Yeah. Uh, or or in that era, at least. Mm-hmm. So I found that very suspect. I thought the, the search engine is doing too much thinking for me right now. Yeah, that's a... Uh, did you... When you were searching, did you try uh, keywords like ancient yes, Greek? Yes, I did. Uh, and it's still... It, in fact... Even when I completely changed my search criteria, mm-hmm. uh, I even took out like the word unethical mm-hmm. or experiment. Okay. Uh, and it still gave, I still had top searches that were identical. <sighs> so likely it was already rough. manifesting or manifesting rather manifest. That's not a word. It was already manifesting my future searches based on a, on my previous criteria. Oh. So it's doing too much thinking for me. Yeah, so that's know, an unethical experiment as the, well. But I, I throw that in with social media as well. The algorithms have, they, they, they try and predict what it thinks will keep you interested and in coming, clicking more, right? It's not necessarily trying to find what your most related search is, well, which yeah. is, can be and very frustrating. Um, well, that is very uh, frustrating. Especially, I know, I know, I've heard that Bing is a little better in that regard. That they don't that that they'll try and do more relatable searches than than um, the top clicks searches. You know? That occurred to me as well. The fact that I have been using only Google Search now for a long time, mm-hmm. whereas at one point I was. I made it my practice to jump around. Yeah, I used to jump around a lot more too. I used to use S. I've gotten lazy. I've got to go back and, to uh, Google, like as like a conjunction. And then there's also like I, I haven't used Google Scholar since college, like, but like that that is more for like a research papers. And well, that's like interesting that. you bring that up because I just I had this feeling while I was searching as well that a lot of these topics were identical, or their search the search you know the search results were identical. I had this feeling that it was because of what is being currently researched or searched for academia or for, mm-hmm. say, like a college student doing right. a test or a paper. Sure enough, that is like, uh, believe it or not, on ethical experiments is like a topic right now. It's like a popular topic. Really? Yeah. Unknown to look, us, right? But Look at, look at us. Oh, we're just so relevant. So progressive. <laughs> we're so relevant. <laughs> but... So I, it was. It, so there's a lot of things I I found unethical, even about my unethical, or rather, even about my search for unethical. 
conductivity, let's call it, not just experiments. But I don't know. What do you, I mean, do you, do you, yeah, okay. So you agree that social media, I mean, well, do, do you agree that social media is an unethical, an ethical experiment? Okay. I do not think humans. that social media in its, um, in its purity as, a, as is just what it is, is necessarily an unethical thing. I think that social media is just like anything else. You can, you can use it for good or you can use it for evil or you can just, it can be a neutral state. So for you, it's just an abused tool. Uh, it's, exactly. Okay. I think it has been abused by, especially Facebook. They've done a lot of like social experiments, which I think is unethical because you're you're using these unwitting masses who don't know that they're being manipulated, um, don't don't did not consent to future manipulation, and if you did consent, it's because you hit a button and didn't read the papers. You know, you didn't read the document that it's like you know the next terms of service agreement because who reads that right you know so i think that it can be used unethically but in but in its i i don't want to use the word pure form but like in its in its essence it is not a, a unethical system so what would you say uh, so what was uh, one of your in your searches for unethical experiments what was one that stood out to you so I, I got like three big ones that I found and I was trying to find something that was just like, I don't know, really like, like, wow, that's fucked up. Like, I can't believe we did that. Or I can't believe that this was allowed even before the, um, what is it? The, so I did a lot of psychological ones, um, experiments and this is, would be before uh, 19, the late 1970s when they created the ethics board and American psychology, whatever. You know, I can't remember the organization, what they're called. But they pretty much regulate all the experiments. But it's very loosely regulated, as I found out. As most things seem to be. Yeah. yeah. So my first one has to do with MK Ultra, which is uh, started in 1953. And out of that came Midnight... Uh, or project, what was it? Project Midnight. Uh, Operation Climax. Operation Midnight Climax. Yeah, that yes. was one of mine, but that's okay. Oh uh, no, go ahead because I'm curious to see what you're going to say. Go so, ahead. So, all right. MK Ultra is stems from World War II and the Cold War and the fear that the Russians were using mind control on POWs from Vietnam and things like that, right? Um, so we were like, okay, well, we got to get our own mind control business going on too. Sure. It's a new type of warfare, a new weapon or, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's another aspect of life that we have to counteract like as a military force sure, that's what as, I mean, a, yeah. as, a, as a government. Our actually. enemies can't be better at this. We gotta. Yes. And then, so operation midnight climax is such a weird thing that they started doing. All right. So this guy named George white was a head of the art narcotics, uh, division, right? They put him in charge of this project, which is they just they get Johns, which is just like a random guy at a bar or whatever. They lure him with a prostitute. The prostitute brings him back to this hotel, which is has like a two way mirror, this like shitty decor with like with like half naked lady paintings and like, you know, like photos of BDSM just kind of around like it was supposed to be like a rich looking like thing. It's supposed to be like a French whorehouse. Right. But it turned into like this like just den of sin that was just gross and um so what they would do is a prostitute would would slip the the john the guy std uh, STD, sorry i'm sure he got some of those too yeah right it's a prostitute you never know what you're getting um 
with slip him LSD, which is a psychoactive, you know, hallucinogenic. Um, give him a strong Mickey. Yeah, you know. And then, so they, what they would do is the purpose of this was to see what kind of information they could get out, what kind of uh, if they c- could control this person's mind and have uh, subsequential like events happen from this. Um, they found out it was a huge failure <laughs> in one way. And, and, yeah. And the, and the, but like in oh, its main way. Yeah. And like, they couldn't, they found out they couldn't control anyone. Right. They like, there's, this is impossible. You cannot make people unwillingly do or confess things that they don't want to confess. Um, I mean, aside from torture, I mean, you can get people to confess things like that, mm-hmm. but like, you can't get them to tell, like, you know, you can't coerce it out of them this way. But before that, they found it was, unsuccessful but they also found it very successful at times because they found out they were getting a lot of information out uh post-coital interaction you know after sex they were getting they were like during that couple time they were getting the information they wanted out of these guys so they what they started doing was just drugging people at bars and restaurants in the bar like just like there like they just like you know have some person just drop another you know some lsd so like you got these random people just tripping on acid which hey you know, maybe if you're into that, like you like your LSD, it's a free trip, right? But I mean, set and setting, man, like it is not a good time. I can tell you from experience that a surprise trip is absolutely horrid. It is one of the worst experiences possible. I also found that interesting, too, because while I was reading up on uh, Project Midnight Climax, which I love the name, by the way, there should be a movie called that. But uh, I felt a little attacked because my life was like kind of like this for a little while, except I had to pay. Oh, <laughs> These so guys just... were being picked up for free off the street to sleep with hookers and then get drugged. Yeah, and they were paying the hookers with, with CIA money. Yeah, right? This well, is like governmental money like they're getting paid with and they were getting granted. Well, that's like... taxpayer money. Yeah. Well, it comes from two sources, really. It comes from us, the taxpayers, and from arms deals. <laughs> yeah, right. And whatever else shady business that's the two and main ways was, that our government all, makes money it was all off the books and they they burned everything they had at the end of the project too because they're like well we did some real like fucked up shit so. well that was interesting to thing to me too was that the agents involved with the project were dipping in it themselves so yeah. like they'd go through a night of interrogation and say you know uh, uh hey uh sapphire you still got 20 <laughs> minutes <laughs> We got you on the clock still. Can we use you? Yeah, right. And then so, they were also granted like a, uh, amnesty. Well, of much course, from, yeah. Like I mean, uh, any other offenses that they were to get. Run that's one thing law. I've yes, that's one thing I've noticed too is uh, when comparing like um, people who were paid for an, you know an experimental drug or something like that compared to like paying a, a professional prostitute. The prostitute was almost always smarter about negotiating the deal because. They just know when they're being hustled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas the average college student or prisoner didn't seem to and got got fucked monetarily as well as physically. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I think that that was like, I was like, I can't believe we're like doing this to our own people. Like this isn't just like, you know, like we're, we're doing studies on prisoners or doing like, like people who like you could somehow maybe justify it. I mean, there's no real justification for this kind of like. Well, no, yeah, I mean, but. I guess I tried to raise that argument with social media in the sense that, because one thing you, one thing that's terrible but wonderful is the terrible thing I'm I'm mentioning is that like in World War II, the all the there's so many 
terrible human experiments that were conducted by the Nazi party. Right. And certain other groups as well. But mainly the Nazis get all the blame. And that's fine. Um, but from that, a lot of new medicine that is still used to this day was discovered. And medicine and other medical breakthroughs, like how long it takes for you to bleed out from getting your arm cut yes, off, how long it takes yes. to freeze, how long, you know, they did all these Just things. invaluable knowledge yeah. that I don't want to say could only have been gained through human suffering Mutilation. or torture, <laughs> but obviously that produced the knowledge as well. I don't know. I hate, I hate to excuse anything. And I don't like, I don't even like the idea of blame. I think blame is useful when you need to punish something or someone right otherwise blame to me is useless what matters is fixing the problem or the outcome in mm -hmm. general so i don't want to excuse nazis i would never do that uh, and that's not what i'm saying but i do i they do bring forth the example or at least the idea that of how far can our ethics go in other right, words that great knowledge can be gained through horrible yeah, means it can yeah and uh to what degree or what severity should we allow it? Yeah, to me that it also equates to um, privacy versus uh, safety, right? It's like that same kind of like that weird line. It's like, when is too much too much? Like, when do you say like, yo, this is messed up now. Like, you can't be doing this to Well, people. that's just it. And, and for example, even to this day, there are medical trials for new drugs and things like that that you can just go and sign up for and you'll be compensated, right? Now, the level of compensation is for you is for you to discern whether it is appropriate or not, right? Mm. And some, it, it draws the argument, at least in my mind, is when should we step in as a government, let's say, of the people, mm -hmm. if we're still pretending we have that, to to regulate that to a point where I mean, it is to some well, degree. Well, one of the the code of ethics is do no harm, right? It's like yeah, which is broken constantly yeah it is but i mean that's part of the 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 safety net i mean it is broken all the time the regulations on this have been very uh relaxed in the past from what i saw um because another one of mine was so two of mine are before the, the ethics committee was created um this one was nine uh midnight um what is, operation midnight climax was it was done in 1955 let me see. I think it was the mid fifties to yeah, nineteen fifty five, mm -hmm. and it, and it didn't end until like the uh, almost uh, seventy three. Yeah, it started in fifty four, like, and actually the MK Ultra program, uh, it it ended sooner than MK Ultra did. Okay, but MK Ultra had several different departments and right. projects going. Yeah, that was something. And that some was went like on the until umbrella. the mid seventies. Yeah, yeah, and some of the didn't end until ninety seven, uh, nineteen seventy three. So it's like crazy that we were still messing with our... And it took Congress to shut it down, which means it had to be voted on. <laughs> well, not just that, but it, it got it had to have time to leak. Like, it had yeah. to have time to, to raise suspicion and awareness. Well, that's how... Like, I how, think, how brazen were some of these acts that, well, that that's, took We'll never that, know, maybe. Exactly. Because yeah. a lot of it was destroyed. That's most of history. We, we live in... The most profound thing, I think, about our age is that we live in a time where... The information is permanent, right? History is permanent. Things in the sense that everything is digital now and shared. And unless that gets oh. ruined somehow, uh, you know, that's why you can you can go shame a celebrity for something he emailed 25 years yeah, ago right. it's so garbage. and then ruin their career with it now because yeah. now it's offensive 
Maybe even then it was, but you know, my point is that. Yeah, but it, I mean, it, that's a different person, man. It I, is. I, it, I, 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 you couldn't, you can't. It's it's difficult for me to, as I get older, it's difficult for me to even judge people for things they did decades ago because they were literally different people. I mean, even physically, yeah. every every cell like in your body was every replaced. Every cell in your body has been has been replaced for sure. Like I think about that though, just even on the day to day basis, like I, I change my mind all the time on different topics. It's right. Like, it's like I don't. I am a, constantly a different person. Like I, from. I so is know. there anything else you want to say about uh, oh, MK no. Ultra Project? Um, uh, and Project Midnight Climax. <laughs> There's so many good ways to say it. I mean, yeah, it, it jumbles in my head too. But Project Midnight Climax. Operation Midnight Climax is what I. Thought. You like that one better? That's what I found. Yeah, same, it as. Operation. Thing. Yeah. Operation just sounds more sterile than Project. Project's like this could be anything. You know, Operation is direct. Well, that I would say the opposite. I think Project's more sterile word, but that's all right. <laughs> Operation's a much more woody word, as the. Uh, <laughs> Flying as a Monty Python would say. Mm. Do you got a experiment you would like to share? So I found it difficult not to talk about World War Two. I try to. I wanted to have some modern examples and and some class and his some some historical ones. So a quick. I'll, I'll give a quick historical one, and that was out of Dachau, which is a which was a concentration camp in germany outside of a medieval town called Dachau. it's very famous everybody knows about it terrible things happened there they did a lot of experimentation and murder and torture at Dachau. um and there's plenty of terrible examples but one that i had never heard of that stood out to me was the seawater experiment which was conducted mainly i guess by a dr hans eppinger and they started with gypsies and of course eventually they switched to jews for most of their testing because that's who they were that's who's left well that's who they were capturing and rounding up right and they started with gypsies because uh, if people don't know this a gypsy in europe is not the gypsy of american hollywood right a gypsy in europe is like the lowest cast of person it's not just a derelict it's like an irish settler it's a it's a vile it's a criminal it's a person who's a nomad and will do anything to survive they, you know they sell their own children or the or give away their own you know wives or, or whatever just to to benefit personally so mm-hmm. in europe gypsies are very frowned upon if, if that's a light way to put it um and i come i am a from a slavic upbringing and family so I got heard a lot about <laughs> negative things about gypsies, but they started with gypsies because, if I had to guess, because it was socially acceptable. Nobody gave a shit what happened to gypsies, and the seawater experiment uh, was basically simple. They they fed only seawater to their gypsy captives, and some of them were just put were there for because politi- Dachau was a political prison, so they were okay. just rounded up for whatever reason they wanted to arrest them for, which in this case was to try and discover a way to make seawater drinkable. Because oh, that's a major... So they're trying to desalinate the water. And... Well, actually, what they were trying to do was force the body into accepting seawater. Oh. Now, an interesting thing about uh, seawater is that um, it's saltier than your own urine, which is... Uh, okay. In reason, in part because your kidneys is what filters uh, salinate out of out of the water, out of your blood, okay, okay, in your body, and 
your first thing to fail, well, first of all, what happens when you drink only seawater is you become dehydrated. So eventually and quickly severely dehydrated. Uh, And then everybody knows at least what some of the symptoms of that are. Uh, We've all been mildly or moderately dehydrated, right? Uh, And you feel major exhaustion. You know, like if if you're in the heat all day, that kind of thing, working especially or being active. Um, But you can also suffer from organ failure. And it starts with the kidney, of course, because you're just polluting your kidney. Yeah, you're overtaxed. Yeah, and there's no water for you. You're getting almost no water, which is really interesting um, if you drink only seawater. But these patients became so dehydrated that they would wait for the janitor to mop the floors. And then they would sneak they would because they were tied to their beds in some cases and they would lean onto the side of their bed while still strapped and lick the mopped floor just to get any drop of fresh water into their system that's how thirsty they were so i thought that was pretty horrendous and it's hard not to i mean all these examples we're gonna have are yeah pretty horrendous but um that's that's a that's a simple one that stood out to me. Yeah, that is very simple. So what did they find out? Was there any was there any knowledge gained from that one? Do you know? Yeah, they found out that they were dumbasses and that there was no way for the human body to. Well, yeah, but did they did they find out I, how long it takes? Or well, or it like, varies on the person. Um, uh, actually, it varies significantly. Um, I. I, I wanted to find out whether or not it mattered between thin and fat people. Okay. And all I could find out was modern health um, evidence or facts for that. And yes, if you are fat or severely obese, mm-hmm. you will last longer, uh, even on, on okay. a dehydration. So because your body, your fat cells hold water as well? Yes, but that uh, that mat- there's variables to that as well. If you're active during your dehydration, you can actually die faster being overweight hmm. than oh, from, if you for, are thin yeah, because, because you spend more energy due to the weight uh of your body you're sweating more and dehydrating yourself even further possibly i didn't see, i didn't read anything about that but maybe i don't yeah. know that fat people sweat well, easier if, than thin people well, i don't think if that's you gotta, true if you're if you're hotter right from the fat cells and if you have more weight to move you're going to be using more your heart rate's going to go up. I think you're quicker to sweat. That's a good question. I, if I had to guess, I would, and again, I'm guessing. I would, If I had to guess, you're quicker to sweat for being overweight. Mm. But I don't know that you would sweat uh, more. Like I like your, how much you sweat per second. I don't think that would, in, Increase. would matter well, based I, on your weight. I wonder, because you have more surface area, right? So you have more, you have more skin to sweat. <laughs> I guess we're just going to have to go back to square one and start feeding seawater to people that want to yeah. conduct the test. I'll, I'll start, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect for your... Uh, your uh, you, you, know, you live a dehydration lifestyle. No, I drink water. No. I drink a lot of water. Um, not as much as I should. I also drink... Uh, uh, a lot of electrolytes in my water, which is well, great. that's important to dehydration too. You it need is, electrolytes, which is kind of funny because isn't like seawater full of electrolytes? Well, salt is in general, from what I read while I was reading up on this. But you know, like most things that go in your body, it just takes what it needs, or so so it can manage. It's just that it's the concentration of the sodium that's yeah. in the salt water that it's just way too much. It's of too much. I, maybe it's mostly salt. I don't know. I mean, well, far, there's got to be some oxygen. Well, hydrogen, no, there's water in know? salt water, but uh, it, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting though. Um, it's interesting too that um, 
because because your your kidneys can only make urine that is less salty than salt water. So really, get, so yeah, it can't even expend that. Yeah, so to like, get rid of all the excess salt taken oh. in by drinking seawater, you would have to urinate more water than you drank. So that's why you dehydrate. I see. Yeah, that's Which why it fails. Is because it just holds on to that salt and it just compounds. Because so you can't you can't expel the salt without more water yeah it's simple physics i mean you can't you can't obviously piss more water than you're taking in so you die (laughs) wow that's crazy that you you, your body will just hold on to that salt and you can't just like release extra salt i mean i guess it makes sense because right there's a saturation point of the salt and if you can't if you don't match that and you're just holding on to it so what did you have Next on your list of uh, human atrocities here, of unethical experiments. All right. So, my next one is called the Little Albert Experiment. And this was done in uh, 1920. Okay. So, what uh, they were trying to do, it was John uh, John Watson and uh, Rosalita uh, Rayner. And uh, they were trying to... F- they were behavior behavioralist in nature, like their uh, their philosophy. Yeah, John Watson is actually famous for his behavioral uh, psychology. Yeah, and um, he was actually at the head of the board of American uh, psychology, and like that whole like once they started establishing like, right. more uh, of a uh, system of psychology in America. So, what they wanted to do was classically train fear into a an infant and this uh infant they found was about nine months old and they wanted to do like a pavlothian kind of condition right like that's like the same kind of idea where like with the bell and the food and the dog and making the the dog salivate to the bell instead of just the food right okay so what they did was is that they found a an apparently healthy uh child right um there's later evidence that maybe this child wasn't so healthy and was actually because uh, they don't really know who who little Albert really was. There's, there's a no, poss- I think he died. What I read that he died. What he didn't live past the age of six. That's one of the theories. Oh, and then there's true. another theory that this guy lived until he was like 87 and died in 2007. And that really, yeah. Wow. And they're unsure which it was. It's more likely that it was the this kid who had uh, hydrocephalitis, which is like a where your spinal fluid like builds up in your brain and you just start losing like cognitive abilities and all just this comatose control. and you're gone yeah pretty much it's it's pretty unfortunate and he had this at birth too right and um okay so what the experiment was is that they would uh they would bring all these different animals in like dogs monkeys rats bunnies a santa mask you know like all these different things and the baby had no reaction or would play with it, or there was no fear, right? Like they wanted to establish a fear in, into one of these things. So what they started doing was um, they brought this white uh, rat in and would force the kid to be around it, play with it. He was fine with that, but then they would behind him where where he couldn't see. They would hit this metal pipe with a hammer, and they would make a loud noise, and the baby would cry from the loud noise because it would scare him because you saw this, you know, a sudden noise, right? Um, so what they were trying to do was, was condition the baby to be afraid of the rat. To associate the fear with the sight of the rat. Right. From the fear of the, the pipe. 
which worked, you know, they didn't, they, they're unsure if it ever uh, created an actual phobia of, uh, the rat, but what it would happen is that they would do, um, what is it called? Associated, uh, uh, fears as well. So it also started to fear like anything with like a fuzzy, like, like furry animals, um, like dogs. He started being afraid of, he started being afraid of, uh, uh, you know, a Santa mask now that he wasn't afraid of before. So there's all these different things that he wasn't scared of that they'd already pre-tested him on. And now they're doing it and he's afraid of it because he's starting to associate. Um, they stopped the association for a bit to see if, if it would stick. It didn't the first time uh, that they tried, but they had to recondition him. Um, and the second time it stuck though. So they had, this, by the time that this experiment ended, this nine month old, Nine month year old baby or nine month old baby was now a year old, right? Um, was I don't know how a year and how many months I didn't really find out, but it was over, it was about a year long experiment, is what they were saying. But the mother may not have known all of what was happening, right? Because it was she was just a wet nurse at the at the at the hospital that he worked at at John Hopkins. Didn't they only pay her like a dollar for the experiment? Which is thirteen dollars back then, though, Marco. Don't oh, get it whoa. twisted. <laughs> that's a Big Mac and a that's a number one at McDonald's, man. Yeah, but there's also like this whole like uh, thing where she wasn't sure. They're, they're saying like she was in a really weird position where she didn't know if she could refuse the doctor. Right? She didn't know. Oh, if I'm she, sure she was intimidated to some degree. Yeah, and she I, I would didn't want to lose her job because she yeah. was, just, you know. How do you say no to your boss? Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, so she there. There's theories that she would have felt obligated to even do this. Well, they the mother came and took the baby and just like ran off. Right? Like, oh, this is horrible. We can't. I don't want you doing this to my kid. Yeah. And she just like moved away. Didn't tell anyone where she was going. Like at the hospital at her job or anything. And. So the baby was not unconditioned, right? They did they did not get a chance to cure the baby, if you will, of the phobia. Right. So, like I was saying, there's there's two different uh, ideas. It was either uh, that the child that? didn't that he didn't live that Albert did not live past his uh, yeah Douglas uh, Ma- merit yeah Maturi. It was like some merit yeah. yeah. It's like a French variation of merit though. Mm. Um. And she, that would have been the baby that only lived to six months old, or not six months, sorry, six years old, and died of the hydrocephalitis. And, you know, which I think it might be better. I don't know. Like, I would rather, I would almost rather have the baby die from unrelated causes, right? And not have to live through it. So the rest of his life fucked up from this one experiment. <laughs> you having a heart attack from watching Ninja Turtles and then yeah. Splinter comes on the screen. And then the other one would have been uh, William uh, Bragger, which is like he would have lived to 87 um, or he had lived to 87. And then they, they got in contact with his niece and she was saying that, yeah, he had a fear of dogs and other furry creatures like that. Like they whenever he would come over to family's uh, place, like residence, they would have to have the dog like, you know, in a separate room. Like he couldn't be around it because it was very like. It was like a hysterical fear for him. I find, you know, you it, it reminds me of something I consider a dangerous mistake. It's a psychological thing. See if you agree, because I can think of things that happened to me traumatic that were traumatic in my childhood that I those that I at least remember. And when they were over, it was sort of expected of me to just forget about it or throw it off 
to the side and mm. you know in, in adults or or um you Rub know some dirt on it yeah like kind you know oh he'll be fine yeah. or whatever kids are uh, resilient yeah almost as if like things that happen to you when you're four uh, well, he won't remember them, so he's fine. There's no permanent psychological effect to yeah, what I, took place, and I've never agreed with that. Yeah, I don't and I, I'm, I'm sure if I looked it up, I could find evidence that I'm right, or at least that that I agree. Oh, with, absolutely. You know? um, the developmental stages of children are very important. I think like, so. everything that happens to them, this is when they're learning how to be social creatures as well. You know, well, that's like, why I think a lot. Actually, to this day, like what Watson established for behavioral science mm-hmm. uh, is still used to this day uh, it certainly was used in like the um what's the word for the re um uh, not reformation but the uh the changes to policies in prisons and okay. things like that for rehabilitation what's right. considered to re you know programs that are considered to rehabilitate prisoners and okay convicts things like that um which I, th- I personally still think needs a lot of work. But, again, it's another topic I'm a novice on. Yeah. But I did I, I find that interesting that, uh, especially it seems from like the 20s or the 50s, man, you should definitely not have given your kid up for any kind of psychological <laughs> test. Well, yeah. Watson, uh, he also inspired other people to do behavioral uh, psychology as well. He, he got this, this one girl, she did the exact opposite of what he did with, with little Albert and she cured uh, a child of his phobia by s- slowly introducing him to like, um, say you have a fear of frogs, right? So you, you first show pictures of frogs. All right. You're good with that. Now, and then you show, you, you get a toy frog. All right. You're good with, you're good with seeing the, the toy frog. And then you, yeah, you just, you up it until you're, you're good with frogs. That goes back to the old saying, you have to face your fears. Yeah. And, you, and that's a big deal is like, um, creating an op- or having an obstacle with manageable steps you know it's like like taking it one little stair at a time you know just like going up and inc- slowly increasing like you have a goal all right you accomplish that now you're one step closer the next goal is going to be easier instead of just taking like a giant leap over the steps you know you're, you're taking each step at a time and that's like right really what makes you feel accomplished as well and whatever you're trying to do because you you're having rewards met goals met and rewards from that from meeting the goal mm-hmm. no i agree did you have any other experiments you would like to share with the class with the class with professor wigand yes this is an assignment you're being graded oh, okay well i just well I, I thought i was being graded on your name because i i feel like i usually say wigand yeah i, I said wigand i don't know that's all right it's quite all right um, I do have one last um, thing that I wrote up about. Um, it's an unethical experiment, but it wasn't necessarily an experiment on humans, though humans suffered because of it. Oh, okay. And and basically the story goes like this. Lutz Heck was a German zoologist and Nazi who worked for Hermann Goring. Goring was also a Nazi and a major one at that. He created the Gestapo, which he later passed on to Himmler. He was also in charge of the Luftwaffe, the Nazi Air Force, and was himself a decorated pilot from World War I. Lutz and Goring were good friends that loved to hunt, mainly in the Yellowasia forest between Poland and Belarus. I'm pretty sure I pronounce yellow asia wrong but i'm not polish (laughs) being nazi scum is not the darkest part of this story goring wanted lutz to create the ultimate game 
the most ferocious and deadly animals to hunt oh. that the modern world had ever seen. Do you know that you know about this story? No, I thought you were going to say the most dangerous game, which is like you know the novel or no a short game story. as in like yeah, what thought, you hunt. Yeah, you know? yeah, a kind of Nazi Jurassic Park is what they were aiming for, and the idea was even popular with Hitler himself. Lutz went to work on breeding the most aggressive animals he could find. He focused on cows in an attempt to reproduce their ancient progenitor, the auroch. The auroch was an immense beast who over generations of selective breeding became the docile modern-day cow. Lutz was convinced that the original genes of the auroch lie dormant in today's cows and that he could resurrect them through selective breeding of aggressive subjects. It's kind of like reanimator a little bit. That's why this story is so interesting to me. Um, he succeeded in a way, creating enormous versions of modern bulls that were in fact dangerously aggressive, not just to humans, to everything. Here's where the story gets even darker. Lutz and Goring wanted their favorite forest for hunting to be bereft of humans. Apparently, hunting humans was getting boring for them at this point in the war. They tried to convince Polish villagers and farmers to leave their homes, at first using scare tactics, having already released some of the mutant animals into the forest. <laughs> Eventually, they resorted to their tried-and-true method, murder. The amount of human casualties is unknown to this day, but it is believed that entire family bloodlines were wiped out just so Lutz and Goring could have their Jurassic Auroch Park. It's interesting to note that Lutz Heck's monster cows are still alive today and adapted naturally to the forest. They are still aggressive and avoided by the locals, usually. <laughs> Except for the ones that want to hunt. I guess, yeah. Apparently some people still try to hunt them. I'm just thinking, so you know the Hercules gene is? Yeah. It's that gene where your your muscles don't regulate how big they get, so they just get giant, right? Well, yeah. this is in cows too, right? Yes. So it's, there's bovine yeah. that like have this like it's a mammalian trait. Yeah. yeah. So like that's all I'm picturing is this like this beefed up cow that's just like jacked up from all belief. That's and exactly was, what they with, look like, like. Giant horns, just like that's exactly split. it. Oh. If you look up pictures of uh, the auroch, which of course there are many bones, right? Uh, I mean. The room we're in is probably like 25 feet. Their horns were that wide. I mean, they were immense. They That's were ridiculous. So cool. Yeah. And uh, I, with, because Imagine of the story. the neck strength. Dude, <laughs> The oh, neck man. strength alone. <laughs> Just the, 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 the force. You could knock down a brick wall. But um, even today, this is still being researched. And apparently there is a Japanese lab that is close to reproducing the Oroch. Really? I, that's what I read. I mean, it's mad science. I don't know how accurate it is, but... Well, I mean, you're not going to really ever have the Oroch as the Oroch was. You can get close to different qualities for sure, but like the Oroch's well, gone, right? It's 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 evolved into I a suppose a in species. its purest form, yes. But visually speaking... Yeah, you can get pretty it, close. It could be yeah. possible to, to, re to reproduce them. I mean, if you can breed, uh, you know, submissive, docile creatures, you could make that same thing go back to being aggressive. You just start breeding the aggressive traits again. Well, he did... Lutz Heck did that. And he wasn't just uh, cows either. There were some other animals that he... Oh, so there were other animals. On. Like, yeah, tigers. I was going to say... Because he was a zoologist. So he was literally 
I mean, in the same way that the German, that the Nazis, pardon me, were uh, herding people into concentration camps mm-hmm. and, and experimenting on them, this guy was doing the same thing with his zoo animals or just any animals that was brought to him. That's crazy. I bet he had, a, he had a lot other... quicker results because animals breed faster. Well, not all. Oh, of them, sure. Some. And not to mention that they, what care was given at all to the animals. You know, yeah, at least right. at least with suffering humans, you know, that's something that um, psychologists talk about is how, you know, most people who were Nazis were forced to be evil. They weren't inherently evil. Right. Um, which isn't an attempt to excuse them. It's an attempt to understand the psychology right. of what they had to do. Like, you know, like not every guard posted in a concentration camp was lucifer you know or the joker or just you know some crazy evil person he was a a soldier on a job and many of them must have hated what they saw and did and so at least my point is that at least with humans there'd be some empathy you know there's plenty of stories of where like uh, you know morsel bread is snuck every night to a certain family or Mm -hmm. a guard was less harsh on the people he was he worked around that kind of thing but with animals it seems like the empathy just goes out the window. Oh, just look at our farms today. <laughs> oh, it's, I don't eat most chicken because, or any processed chicken because yeah. of that, from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah, even when they say they're like uh, cage free or free range, that doesn't mean that they're actually like, you know. Oh, we could go into a complete conversation of that. Maybe we could, we should. But, yeah, that, that could be another. Like, but yeah, I thought the, the Jurassic Auric Park uh, that still exists today was. Uh, so are it's you really saying, movie quality. Are you saying that you think it's unethical to bring these species back to life like uh, that? I think it's or... unethical to murder villagers so that okay. you can have so you hunting can have... ground. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Eh, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't know if that, the experiment itself was necessary. I think, no, I think the experiment itself is also unethical. I, you know, when it comes to ethics with animals, I think, first of all, there's two, there's two in my opinion, the two major errors when it comes to ethics with animals is one... Um, it, it it's it's superfluous in the way that we consider that animals have no way of communicating. It's sort of just generally accepted that animals have no way of communicating their suffering, mm-hmm. which is completely false. I think you and I would both agree, having worked with horses, that they are very clear, uh, you know, communicators when it comes to discomfort and oh, pain yeah. and suffering. They have I think best all, friends. Well, everything. I think they're not dumb animals. No. As, and, and I think that is generally applied. So that's the first error. The second error is the most obvious one, which is that we just don't give a shit. We right. just don't well, care. You don't, have, you don't have your mirror neurons aren't, aren't activating your. You know, well, it isn't important to our survival, so to speak, to care about the suffering of other animals, the right. emotions of other. And mainly, we care about humans, or or at least ourselves, right. right? In the most selfish of us, let's say. So I think uh, that's why I'm actually very against zoos. I think I think zoos themselves are an unethical practice. I don't think that uh, we're actually protecting or that we should protect even endangered species to that degree because at the end, it's just a business. We're, we're just putting animals on display for money. You know, it's like, a, it's like a prison with windows, in my opinion. What about like, uh, like safari, like where they have like reserves? Yeah, that for, I'm okay with. I think that... Because there's enough land? I, it, they have a habitat that is natural. Okay. You know, they're they're not in any way... Um, uh, their entrapment isn't so severe that it, that it can be gauged in their suffering. You know what I mean? From right. their point of view. Yeah. I do think like the size of the fish tank matters, in other words. Absolutely. I think, I think that matters. That's why we don't have sharks, like giant, like, uh, giant sharks, like great whites, because they get depressed. 
I, there's so many animals that just can't live in captivity, and yeah. I don't think they should. I think a reserve is more of a protection of the the animal's natural habitat, right. which I'm all in favor for. Okay. I think that we should constantly be dealing yeah. with and maybe even expanding. Uh, I don't think humans should just own all land and, and, and mini-mall every fucking square foot of the earth. But I don't think zoos... Are, are are ethical yeah you don't think they're helping in any way they're no just... i i mean the the main argument you what find about, for like, the ethical science, use of zoos research at, in zoos do you think that that's not a that's not a good well we've reason? already proven we can we can study animals in their natural habitat and that i would argue that's where we should be studying them yeah uh, i think the main ethical argument i find from conversation and from the internet is that Zoos protect endangered species, or the, you know, from man and from other threats. I don't think that's our responsibility in that way. That's a practice of that responsibility. I think, as you mentioned, reserves. That is the practice of that. Re- that's the most ethical practice of that responsibility mm-hmm. as humans, which is if we're going to consider ourselves the caretakers of Earth. Okay. Should should conduct ourselves. So, like, bringing it back to like horses, then, um, do you think like stables, like is that is that an unethical treatment of a I horse? I do. I think. I think. Even though, even though, like their life is so much better in the sense of like they're getting fed all the all, time, they're never yes. going hungry. Well, the health, um, yeah. Sorry. Like their health is better. They're they're heating and cooling in some places, like what like at the castle per se. Like we have heating and cooling for these animals. It's like they they get treated like kings. Yes, they do. And having having done that directly for them, having taken care of them in yeah. you know in that environment. Um, the, the best I can tell you, cause I don't want to sound polar about my beliefs. I mean, yes, I disagree with it in the sense that I don't like the animals trapped, especially with horses. I think horse, horses are one social, they're herd animals. Yeah. So they have to be social all yeah. the time. That's how they, that's how they just live yeah. and that's healthy for them. And two, they're, a, they're an animal that is constantly moving. That's part of, um, their mental health and their their dietary health yeah and so for them to be trapped in a stall for long periods of time i never agreed that that's a good thing but i did my best to take as best care i could of them yeah. and made sure they weren't mistreated and by others some places not uh like oh, some of the terrible stables are stables, horrible like oh they're, they are uh terrible concentration conditions. camps yeah. man. yeah yeah they can get pretty gross some people just don't have the the same amount of I don't know if it's empathy or if it's 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 probably several things it's yeah. lack of resource yeah. lack of empathy everything yeah I think but, resources is what really comes down to because I think most people in general if they could they you know treat, I agree yeah. I think if if the challenge was what you could afford based on how much you cared yeah if what you could afford was no question you would care more yeah I, I agree with that yeah sure. all right so let's uh, why don't we wrap this up with one more from you if you've got another one yeah absolutely. In 1983, there there was a study done at uh, UCLA, uh, University uh, uh, California, Los Angeles. So what they were doing was that they were on to study the effects of uh, schizophrenia and taking them off of their medicine and seeing if they could do actually better without their medicine. Because there's like a lot of medications out there that are... Uh, very detrimental to your health in general. Like prolaxin is really horrible for you. Like it can like cause like uh, involuntary muscle movements and muscle stiffness, and it just like can wreak havoc on your body. So they what they wanted to do was see if they could help you 
better without the medicine. Um, they did this study on 23 to 50 people, it says. And the, the unethical part comes in is that they did not ex- disclose how bad this could be for them. Like the going through relapses of their psychosis. Um, there was like hallucinations, paranoia, uh, just like all, you know, all the symptoms came back and it would come back stronger each time that they relapsed. And, uh, they, they were told what the, in the consent form is that they could get worse, could stay the same or it could get better without having any evidence without any evidence, without any, like what they actually thought was that like, yeah, there's going to be people who are going to get a lot worse before they get any close to getting better. And they didn't disclose that. They did not tell them how bad this really could get for them. Because a lot of these people are just like, they're they're at the end of the rope, right? They're just, I just I just need help. I just want help. That's all I want. Try anything. And yeah, I'll try anything at this point, right? So they're like, hey, this they're doing a study. They are looking out for me. They're looking, you know, for the for the best, like, treatment. And that's what they're trying to find. Well, it turned, man, this is what I was going to talk about before, is that, like, the ethics committee was not, is not always tightly regulated as you would think it should be, um, because this got signed off. Like, they, 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 the reports got read through, like, yeah, this would be good, and this is fine. Um, And it wasn't, like, it was horrible. Like, Like, everyone had all these, like I said, horrible relapses, um, one of the students like hey, who was part of the um the program dropped out of college, moved back in with his parents, started threatening his parents' his life. Another one jumped off the building and committed suicide at at UCLA. Like this, that's when like they started like looking into it. <laughs> it's like we took the I mean, what like, are you motherfuckers doing in there? Yeah, right. It's like I, I it, what what's horrible is that like they just didn't tell the the students or the the participants what were what could happen like they didn't tell them like how bad this really could get and that's where like the the ethics and like the like even if it was like they were fully consented it it falls under the do no harm and like that kind of like don't make things worse for people (laughs) yeah um and, and it shouldn't have been even signed off to be able to be done like that was the problem well, it makes me wonder about the goal of that because I do feel that there's an underlying, and I, maybe I'm only speaking for myself, but I, I do feel that deep down I would prefer to solve any psychological problem I have through behavioral means, right? Right. I would rather just change a habit or a diet to cure my problem. But there is often, well, there are just many things that can't be cured that way. Yeah, like, like schizophrenia. Like how are yeah. you going to... like change your schizophrenia behaviorally it's not necessarily being caused by certain actions Correct. that you're it's, doing that's, yeah. a, that's like a it wasn't instigated or yeah it wasn't yeah, that a, isn't the cause of the problem in the first place malfun- mal- malfunction pretty much there's something going on chemically or physiologically well i guess everything is chemical if you think about it right right but i mean yeah. like there could be just like um your brain is just not formed I don't really know how schizophrenia comes on, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, neither do I. But yeah, I think it has to do with like a deformation in the brain. I can tell you too. that even and, just listening to that story makes my stomach churn, because it's one of the most precious things to me is my sanity, and I can only imagine because I know what it's like to, uh, I'm, many people do what it's like how your sanity slips so quickly when you're in great pain when mm-hmm. you are suffering. So yeah. to to the idea of that. The idea that 
not only are you losing your mind because you're suffering, but the cause of the suffering is you're losing your mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is just horrific. And then, yeah, you're just vulnerable. There's you know, no you're, escape. You're That's a surrealistic nightmare. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't imagine going through. That's something that would scare me for sure. Just like having like, like, intrusive. They're more than intrusive thoughts, right? They're like, your your brain is just no, actively you're completely you. <laughs> charmed by your own mind. You have no... I mean, think about like the in the in the. It, this is a TV show, but I, it really kind of puts schizophrenia uh, in perspective for me because in Stranger Things, I think in the second season or the third, it's the second season. Um, Eleven meets her mother, right? Okay, yeah. And her mother is seemingly comfortable she's just sort of lost her mind but they don't think that there's anything really going on right mm-hmm. but when 11 enters her mother's brain her mind to see her thoughts the opposite is in fact taking place she's caught in a horrific nightmare loop that just is playing on on end every seven seconds repeating and it has for decades so try to imagine i mean that, that has to be of- reality i know there was a story what is the story about the boy trapped in his own body. It's about a young man who uh, oh, suffered a rare yeah, disease. You told me about that. Yeah, before. and he he was twelve or thirteen when it took place, and then for twelve or thirteen years after that, he was trapped. His he woke up inside his own comatose body. Right. So he was completely awake, yeah. conscious while he was in his body. I mean, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it and all the things that happened to him. He had to watch his family. Uh, his family, his you know, family structure degrade, and even his own mother and father, like, or his own mother, give up on him, basically, like, lose her love for him because it was just too taxing. Yeah. You know what I mean? She just, oh, it just was a matter of time for her, and and then for that, all that to come back, and then one of the first things he does, like a year and a half later, after waking up from the coma, that's the, the even the more amazing part. And he and, and his his case made the medical. Uh, field aware that there are other people suffering like him imagine the people that were just like him trapped in their bodies and they mm-hmm. died that way so i mean it is not the mind and even depression is not something to be taken lightly i think i think i think anything to do psychologically or any mental disorder really needs to be at the front it has to be a priority as far as like treatment is concerned because wow there's nothing more terrible, I think. Well, yeah, because we, we're very egocentric creatures, I would say, right? Like, so if your mind is your ego, right? Like, you're, that's what makes you you is everything, your thoughts, your memories, and your and your actions of how you, you perceive the world. Like, if that gets altered by uh, a disorder, like, your, your, your entire sense of you changes. It's like, that's what's messed up and scary in the body. It's like, it's like a... It's a, it's a psychological attack upon you. And that's what's like, so how do you defend against that? <laughs> how do you right? defend against it? And, and, and also, you don't know what's really a psychological. Not all psychological attacks are, are immediately evident or, or um, uh, not discernible, but um, oh, help me out here. What's the word I'm looking for? Like able to guess. Right, like you don't know the effect, the immediate effects. For example, right? like with the, the 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 man, the boy, the, the story of the boy that I just mentioned. One of the questions they asked him in an interview was, "What was one of the worst things about it?" And he's like, "Well, there was many, but <laughs> yeah. there was a nurse that 
didn't wasn't very good and she didn't take proper care of the patients and he was one of them and he said that wasn't the worst part the worst part is that she sang badly the same song every day and he said i had to listen to that for three and a half years and he said i ran out of things to repeat in my mind he's like i was tracking not just days and weeks but hours and minutes and i would add any any imagination i could to absolutely everything that was going around and on around me and he said the interesting part about it was that i had to imagine stimulus because there wasn't enough stimulus around me so that's another that's an interesting thing too it's like even if the person's in a vegetable state Mm -hmm. take them to a baseball game (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) yeah right maybe they're in there you know and you can do fmri machine like test that way too to see the kind of level of activity and see the thoughts well now we know more and thanks to cases like him and technology sure but can you imagine how many people have suffered, man? It's just heartbreaking. Yeah, and the people just kind of like, they don't see any responses, so they just kind of like, well, he's, you know. All right, so on that wonderful warm note, and this extremely heartwarming episode, uh, is there anything, is there any like quick or final last thing you want to say? You know, I, I was trying to think of, if I was to create my own unethical experiment, ah yes, what would Zach what be would willing I do? to do? Well, I want okay, so I was like, there was, there was two different uh, ways I wanted to go about it. I wanted to see if there was an experiment I could do dietarily. Like, what kind of crazy experience could I figure out like through dieting? Like maybe so kind of like only drinking seawater. Yeah, something like that, or like um, you know, finding out what the best nutrition is for people. Like maybe you take people's DNAs and you and you so and you sequence that right, and you you only feed them like indigenous foods. Oh, there. I see. So something like that, maybe. But like, I'm like, how how do I make that unethical though? <laughs> My problem was turning that one unethical. I mean. Just off the top of my head, I feel the amount of sugar used in food is an unethical experiment. Yeah, there we go. We'll see. That would be the, my control group, right? <laughs> my control group is actually the one that's just being unethical. <laughs> just feed them as much sugar until the American diet. It hurts. You know? <laughs> uh, my second idea was like, what does it take to become a murderer who does is not affected by the murder? And can anyone achieve that state of mind? Oh, that sounds like the, uh, uh, I, I heard it in a lecture once where uh, the lecturer posed two possibilities of the same outcome. So imagine you're laying, I think it was Sam Harris. He's like, imagine you're laying on a bench, right? In a park or something. And you are asleep, but you're 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 awakened by an alligator who rips off your arm. Oh my gosh. And okay. you escape alive. Okay. Mm. That's one version of the story. The second version of the story is the same setting. You're on a park bench, you're you're asleep, okay. but this time you're awakened by a man with an axe who chops off your arm, but you escape again alive. Now, emotionally the the way you react to both instances is it's starkly different, right? And he gives the argument he makes is that, um, you know, the alligator may have been caught and then put into a zoo. And you may even visit, you may even visit that alligator and with friends and family and point it out and say, that's the beast that almost got me. You, yeah. It might even be like a fun trip to take. Yeah. You might laugh because oh, you survived. But 
because in the second instance, it's a, a man with an axe. Mm-hmm. The outcome, you would almost certainly never be jovial about it, right? That's a devastating personal attack on you. I mean, this man tried to kill you. And yet in both cases, the same thing was taking place. Both both subjects were acting how their mind thought they should, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like they're both animals in, an, in in essence, but except that you excuse one but not the other. Well, I think part of that is because like, when you're outside and you're in a public space, your reality is is that nothing's going to happen to you from other people, right? Like that's like your perceived like a contract with society, right? Like people are going to treat you. So like when someone betrays that trust in that in that uh, way, it's like your reality has been attacked. When an alligator grabs you, you know, alligator, that's what they do. You know, alligators just they they that's you know that's, that's the, the life. You know, they're just hungry. The basis of the argument, though, is morality. In other words, yeah. in the axe wielder's case, it was a moral decision or a lack of moral decision to attack you. But in the alligator's case, he was just being an alligator. Mm-hmm. We apply no morality to alligators, right? If they do something violent, we just say, well, that's, well, he's an alligator. Yeah. Same thing with a dog or a bird or any animal, anything that isn't human. We only apply morality to humans. And yet, now, this isn't an argument for that, but I would I would further say that that scientifically, fundamentally is a mistake because I think animals have morality. I think certain animals at least have morality. They uh, certainly intelligent, uh, certain intelligent mammals have morality. At least that would appear that yeah, way to me. Yeah, I would say that they definitely know the difference between what will give them a good reward versus a, a negative punishment. We'll end it on that. Do you think a monkey with a gun really hates you? So I want to say... Thank you to everyone who's listening again to Audio Pong, and we hope you come back next time for, uh, well, we won't spoil it, what we're going to talk about. We never do. No. Thanks again. If you like what you're hearing. Or even if you don't, that also helps. <laughs> yeah, especially if you're still listening. Then please consider supporting the show. We're working hard on our passion to create quality content, and we want to bring you much more. Indeed, we've got big plans for what we want to add to Audio Pong, and we'd also love to hear from you, the audience, on topics or content Zach and I can create for you. Visit AudioPong on RedCircle.com for more information on where to support the show and where to listen. Also, feel free to contact us directly through email with AudioPong at gmail.com. Be happy. Be healthy. And, and have, have a metal, metal life. life.